Ladies and gentlemen, what up, though? Welcome back. This is the Judgment Call Podcast. It's me, as always, Miles Wilson. I'll be your man for the next hour. Just give me your attention. I really like where this podcast is going. I really appreciate you guys for listening. If you don't mind, I'm going to get right into it. We have a couple things to talk about. I may touch on one other thing because I don't know if you guys watched the Thursday night football game, but something happened at the end of it that will take away from the Browns win. All the attention is going to be gone from that. No one cares that the Browns won anymore. It's what happened at the end of it. If you guys do want to hear about that, stick around to the end of the podcast. I'll tell you, and if you did watch the Thursday night game, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. and You'll know why this is such a big deal. But we're going to go ahead and start with the college football playoff rankings came out this past Tuesday. And if you did listen to last podcast, I did go ahead and give my predictions of who I thought would be in the top 10. This is after Alabama lost, and this is after Penn State lost. So two of the top four teams did lose, and one of them no one thought would lose. And Penn State, at least the committee didn't. They had the Minnesota ranked disrespectfully low at 17. They didn't even think Minnesota was a threat. But just in case you didn't hear it, I'll go ahead and restate who I thought my top 10 would be. I had LSU at one. I feel like that was pretty obvious. It's a consensus number one now. I had Ohio State at two. Then I had Clemson at three. Clemson fans, you could finally relax. You're in the playoff. Hope you were never concerned at all. And then Georgia at four, as I think they were six last week. And then Oregon at five. Minnesota at six. I had Bama at seven. Utah at eight. Oklahoma at 9, and Baylor at 10. Now, I was close. I'll give myself some credit. I had the top four right. But what I didn't look forward to, what I didn't predict, is that I kind of forgot how strong of an SEC bias the committee had. They really, really, really loved the SEC because Bama only dropped to five. I would have thought they had would have had one loss, Oregon, at five. And then they would have said, ah, Minnesota proved themselves. Let's put them at six. Nah, they, they put Bama at five, which isn't surprising. There's no way the committee would miss out on a LSU-Bama rematch. There's no way. I, I should have known that. Should have known better. But they did have Oregon at six. So I was one spot off on that one. Then they had Utah at seven. So I was one spot off of that one, too. And then they put Minnesota at eight, which I'm glad they did put them in the top 10. Then they only dropped Penn State to nine. I didn't have Penn State in my top 10. Since they did have Minnesota ranked so low, since they thought so little of Minnesota, I would have thought that, hey, they would have thought Penn State lost to a bad Minnesota team, which isn't true. Minnesota Minnesota's a good team, but they did keep Penn State in their top 10, probably because they have to play Ohio State in two weeks. They play on the 23rd. So that's probably the reason they kept them in, so... That's fine. I understand that. And then they have Oklahoma rounding out their top 10. I don't agree with Oklahoma being in the top 10. I understand that Baylor barely beat TCU. They went to double overtime, I think. It was either double or triple overtime. I watched the game, but I can't remember if it went to double or triple overtime. But, yeah, even though they barely beat TCU, Oklahoma's lost. They've lost a game. They lost to Kansas State. And it was a bad loss. It's not a great Kansas State team. After this week, Kansas State isn't even ranked. They ranked 16 last week, and they're not even ranked this week. So Oklahoma lost to an unranked team, and Baylor still hasn't lost. I don't care that the fact about 
how close of a game it was. Oklahoma had a close game this week. They barely won. They barely beat Iowa State. It was 42-41. to So if a close win for Oklahoma matters, putting them in the top 10, a close win for Baylor should win too. But they do play this weekend, so that'll settle itself out. But on top of that, the SEC bias in this is so strong. Apparently, the SEC has the two best one-loss teams, which I do agree with. I do think Georgia and Alabama are the two best one-loss teams, but I digress. And then they have the best two-loss teams, too, ranked at 11 and 12. That's Auburn and Florida. I don't agree with that. There's... There's just there's there's three things you can always look forward to in life: death, taxes, and the committee having a very strong Alabama and SEC bias. Clearly, this is shown. This has been shown in every single college football playoff poll. They want SEC teams in the playoff, or they want them at least contend, or want a New Year's Six bowl. This is shown. But why are these two lost SEC teams ranked above an undefeated Baylor team? That makes absolutely zero cents. They did the right thing. They put the undefeated Minnesota team who finally proved themselves above the two lost teams and then one loss Oklahoma and then the Penn State team that they beat. But why is undefeated Baylor underneath two SEC two lost teams? I'll tell you why. Because of the SEC bias. And it's simple as that. Every team and the Big 12 is a threat. Every team in the Big 12 is a threat to score. I mean, I understand they don't have the defense at the same caliber as the SEC, but come on, man. That's ridiculous. But still. Anyways, this really proves that the college football playoff does have a way to go. They're still using subjectivity in the eye test. And they should rank, should still adjust the rankings, but what matters is they did get the top four right. At the end of the day, what only matters right now at the current college football playoff system is the top four. And they do have that right for now. And in case you were wondering uh, who the rest of them is or who the rest of the top 15 rounds out to, it's Florida at 11, Alabama, not Alabama, Auburn at 12, Baylor at 13, Wisconsin at 14, and Michigan at 15. Now, since we've got that out the way, we know what teams are where. We have to look at what teams control their own destiny for the college football playoff because now that we have the teams ranked, now that the official rankings have come out, there's four different teams. Well, a possible five, but there are four definite teams. One, two, three, four. Yep. That control their own destiny. That it, They don't have to have any dominoes fall in place. They don't have to worry about anyone else losing. They are strictly, if they went out, if they take care of business, they will make the college football playoff. Four teams. The team, in my opinion, that has the highest chance with the most ability to control their destiny is Baylor. They're undefeated right now. There are only five undefeated teams right now. Five. Just five. Everyone else has one or two losses. And then I think there's two or three, three lost teams in the top 25. Now, Baylor has a huge game this weekend against Oklahoma. They have to go win this game. They have to. The committee clearly doesn't think very highly of them. They would take a same, a similar kind of jump that Minnesota just took this weekend if they beat Oklahoma. And that's good. They need that. They have to win that game because this is the only chance for the Big 12. If, if Oklahoma wins that game, they don't get into the playoff. They're not the best one-loss team Alabama is. 
they have to win this game. And then the week after, they the Baylor Bears have to play Texas. Yeah, that's that's huge. Because even though Texas it just got back into the rankings, I think. I think they were unranked last week, and now they're back in the top 25. Around 20 or 19, somewhere around there. This is a lethal Texas team. This is a Texas team that went toe-to-toe with LSU. It was an absolute shootout. This is a Texas team that is offensively gifted. They tried to claim DBU earlier this year, and they got absolutely exposed by Oklahoma. So, sorry to them sorry to them boys, but Baylor has to go beat them. They have to prove that they're better than that TCU close game that they just have. They have to prove that they can put points on the board, or at least they can stop Texas defense. Texas offense, excuse me. And then they have to win their conference championship, which more than likely they'll play Oklahoma again. They have to beat Oklahoma twice. They have to. They don't have much of a choice. This is what it comes down to for Baylor. But if they do that, they will be an undefeated conference champion. And by the rules of the, co- the committee, an undefeated conference champion gets an automatic bid. So there will be absolutely no way Baylor cannot make the college football playoff if they go undefeated, beat Oklahoma, beat Texas, and then win their conference championship. They get an automatic bid. That, that's why I believe Baylor has the utmost ability to control their way into the playoff. No other team has it this simple. Baylor does. And side note, if this happens and Baylor doesn't make it because they want Alabama in or they want Georgia in, the committee will more than likely expand the playoff by next year. It doesn't matter that the contract expires for the current playoff system in 2023, I believe. That won't matter. They'll, they'll expand it. it, it it's got to happen. If, that, if Baylor won't make it as an undefeated conference champion, it would have to happen. Now, team number two that I believe has the second most ability to control their own destiny making to the playoffs is sixth-ranked Oregon. Right now, Oregon has a better strength of schedule than Alabama. Alabama's strength of schedule is awful because the only team that they've played that matters was LSU, and they were dominated up until a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter. Oregon has beat Washington on the road. That's a good road win. And then they beat eh, pretty much no one else. That was it. And it, But the thing about Oregon, why Oregon has such a large chance to make it is because their only loss was to Auburn. And it was at the very beginning of the season. And if Oregon runs the table, they will have won 12 straight games. It's a point that Joel Klatt brings up very often. It's never been done before during the college football playoff era. After suffering a loss, no team has ever won 12 straight conference games, go undefeated in conference play, and then become a conference champion. It's never happened before. Oregon would have the strongest case because they're only losses to a good Auburn team. It's not like they lost like Oklahoma to a bad Kansas State team or to Georgia. Like, like Georgia, they lost to South Carolina, I believe. So it wouldn't be like that. They lost to a good team, and then they went undefeated in conference play. Now, Oregon does have to beat Utah. They would have to run the table and beat Utah in their conference championship game. That might sound easy for a team that's ranked number six and they don't play another ranked team. 
But every year, there's a handful of teams that will either give you a good scare or they're good for an upset every year. It's Iowa, Iowa State, Texas Tech, any random SEC team, Oklahoma State, and any team from the Big 12. And unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately for them, they have to play Arizona State. Arizona State is, they're not great, but they're, they're a Pac-12 school, but they are lethal. They're not Big 12 lethal. They're not Texas. They're not a Kansas State. They're not Texas Tech. None of those teams, but they are lethal. You cannot sleep on Arizona State. They're good for an upstate. They're just as good for an upset as Iowa State is every year. It's a solid team. And they have to be careful because then after Oregon, after Arizona State, they have to play Oregon State. And rivalry week is never something you want to take lightly. So they have to run the table, have to be careful against Arizona State because it's at Arizona State. That's a trap game. We don't know what time it is yet. They do have a night game the week before, so hopefully they won't get a night game at Arizona State. They have to, they have to win out. That's it. And then they will more than likely have the strongest case to make it into the college football playoff. Well, the second strongest, barring the, that Baylor doesn't go undefeated. Now, third team, Georgia. Plain and simple, they're in the college football playoff right now. They're ranked number four. They have to beat Auburn this weekend. That would be a fantastic win. And even Georgia's strength of schedule is fantastic. They beat Florida. They would, they will, they beat a then ranked, I think they were ranked like number seven, another Dame. They beat another Dame. And then with this win, this will be their third top 15 win, and they would have two top 10 wins. That's a strength of schedule that's almost comparable to LSU's. That would be fantastic. So they have to do that. They would have two top 10 wins, one top 15 win, and then the unthinkable would have to happen. And they would have to beat LSU and the conference championship. Now, if they beat LSU, I still definitely believe that LSU would be in the top four. There's no way they drop out. Absolutely no way. They won't put Alabama ahead of them because LSU would own the head-to-head. So LSU would be the best one-loss team. They would make it in. And then the college football playoff would be Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU. And we'd more than likely get a Georgia-LSU rematch in the first round. But that's what has to happen. They have to beat Auburn, and they have to beat LSU and become the conference champions. Then undisputed, they would have the best, most quality wins. And that one bad loss to South Carolina would pretty much be erased. Because Alabama has no chance to make the college football playoff now. LSU's pretty much going to make it in. It's impossible. And then finally, Minnesota is the fourth team that controls their own destiny. Penn State really doesn't have a chance anymore since they lost to Minnesota. Their best bet was to beat Minnesota, then beat Ohio State. Since they've already beat Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, they've already beat all these teams. But since they've lost, Minnesota's still undefeated. They have to play Iowa this weekend, and the week after that, they have to play Wisconsin. That is sort of a gauntlet. They have to finish the gauntlet. They beat those two teams. They're going, they have an automatic bid. 
to the Big Ten Championship. And then the unthinkable will have to happen. They will have to call up the Avengers. And they will have to somehow beat the juggernaut that is Ohio State. This is why this is the least likely scenario to happen for me. Because Ohio State looks unbeatable right now. That's why I so direly want to see LSU versus Ohio State. I kind of hope they don't lose so I can see this matchup. That would be an excellent football game. But since we're talking about who controls their own destiny, you have to mention Minnesota. They're currently undefeated. They would get two more quality wins with Wisconsin and Iowa in the next two weeks. And then they would have to defeat Ohio State, and they would definitely be in. They'd be another undefeated conference championship with four quality wins. Two of them would be top five. All right. We're done with college football. That's it. That's who controls their destiny and how I feel about the current rankings at the moment. And from there, we're going to move on to the first quality game on Monday Night Football this year. Well, I won't say the first. It's the first good one we've had since the Packers-Lions game. Even then, that one ended on a controversial call where we didn't really get to see much action. It probably would have went to overtime just like this other one. And then that would have been, those would have been top two. Even then, they're still top two. All those ones have been pretty crappy. But we're finally blessed with a great Monday Night Football game. I've been waiting on this game since week five when the 49ers beat the Rams. And I was like, oh, okay. These guys look good. They're 5-0. and Their defense is legit. They've shut down the Rams. All right, let's see how they do against a real quarterback. That's what I wanted to see. I really wanted to see this defense versus an elite quarterback and one of the best leading MVP candidate, in my opinion, in Russell Wilson. I want to know who you are when you're not playing Kyle Allen, Jared Goff, Mason Rudolph, James Winston, Andy Dalton, Baker Mayfield. I want to see who you are against the best. You have to put your best against the best. That's who I wanted to see. Can Robert Salah coach this defense up to play against a quarterback like this? And I can finally say with the utmost confidence, yes, the 49ers defense is legit. It's no joke. Thank the Lord. I'm so glad they are real. This defense is fantastic. They did a great job. They constantly put pressure on Russ. I think he was sacked five times. Even when he wasn't sacked, he was uncomfortable in the pocket. He couldn't escape like he usually does. Even though he made some fantastic plays, it's what elite quarterbacks do. They did control him. Fantastic job. They were often in the backfield. They often forced Seattle to make mistakes. There were five fumbles. Three of them were recovered. One of them was for a touchdown. That's fantastic. That's exactly what you want from your defense. That's exactly how you make an elite name for your defense. Fantastic job by the 49ers and Robert Salah. Now, you can unfortunately still tell that the weakest link of the team is still their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, and their lack of talent outside the backfield. It, like, you have, you have to, when you watch a game like this, you can't put it all on Jimmy Garoppolo. The wide receivers made a lot of mistakes. There were lots of drops. They didn't create much separation. I really hope Emmanuel Sanders doesn't miss significant time because he's fantastic for them. He was their only bright spot in the receiving core before he went down. And what, what you have to realize 
is that the way Kyle Shanahan calls plays, the way they've curated their offense, the reason that they spend so much money on running backs is because that's how their offense runs. Kyle Shanahan and this running back by committee is extremely effective. But when you do something like Seattle did, where you contain the run game and you say, hey, you got to beat me with your quarterback, got to beat me through the air. You got to have playmakers and you got to have a QB who can put the ball in the right spot. Granted, Jimmy G did put it in the right spot sometimes, but there was still bad ball placement, throwing it to the wrong shoulders. Yes, he was uncomfortable a lot of the game. Seattle's defense was fantastic. But you've got to have a guy who can make those plays, and you've got to have some playmakers on the outside. The receivers were a disappointment. They let him down, and they were also missing their best target in George Kittle. So I do understand why this game did in the way it did. But even though they lost, 49ers, 49ers fans, you can take a huge sigh of relief. Come on, do it with me. You no longer have the pressure on you being the last undefeated team in the NFL. And on top of that, it wasn't a bad loss. It was a quality loss. The Seahawks are 8-2 and two now. You didn't lose to a bad team. You didn't lose to the Browns. You didn't lose to the Lions. You didn't lose to Miami. It's an 8-2 team. It's a very competitive team. It's a team that will more than likely make the playoffs. And their QB is debatably going to win the MVP. It's very close between maybe three or four guys. But after this game, Russ is probably the favorite in the eyes of the voters. And on top of that, Russell Wilson was 5-0 and coming into this game versus teams eight games above 500. And what that means for anybody who doesn't know, Russell Wilson is fantastic against great teams. And I'm saying really good teams. And even you can go as far as to say the 49ers probably should have won this game. They were literally a missed field goal away from being undefeated still. Going to a Cardinals game where that probably would have made them 10-0. You can't dwell on what happened, but you have to realize this isn't a bad loss. There were mistakes that were made, but you have to look at the bright side. Your defense proved they could make plays in the clutch against a good team and a great quarterback. That interception was fantastic. You made big plays that held them to field goals and not touchdowns. Good job. You have to look at the positives. But on top of that, you do have to look at the fact that their schedule does get kind of tough. It does get dicey. This is a good time to have a loss. Now you guys can get refocused. Now you guys can say, hey, we got to buckle down, man. Uh, It's starting to get tough. This week they play the Cardinals. I expect them to beat them. The last time they were coming off a short week, they only had a couple days of game plan and the rest. I understand why that game was so close. They still gutted it out. But this time, they've had a full week to prepare. I fully expect them. Well, not, well yeah, it's a full week to prepare. I fully expect them to win this game handily. I don't think it'll be a 28-25 score again. But after this, they go on to face Green Bay, at Baltimore, at New Orleans, Atlanta, home at the Rams, and then at Seattle. At best, I see this team going 6-2. I think they should be able to beat Green Bay, 
because of the way they run their offense, the running back by committee, and then Green Bay has been susceptible against the run. They haven't been fantastic. Let's just put it out there. At Baltimore, I don't think they win that game. I just don't. Lamar Jackson's been fantastic in all facets of the game. Passing, throwing, play calling, getting his line ready. It's been fantastic. And the way the team embraced him, I just I don't see how they can beat him. And then at New Orleans, man, I this is a toss-up game for me. I don't think they'll win this one, but after New Orleans losing to Atlanta, by just all Atlanta did was get pressure on Drew Brees, get back there, get after him. That's all they did. Because Mike Ryan wasn't fantastic. He didn't have 200 yards. He had, I think, 187, a touchdown and an interception. That's not fantastic. Jimmy G can do that. He could probably do better than that. I think this is a winnable game. But since it's at New Orleans, I'm going to give New Orleans the benefit of the doubt in that one. Then I think they take care of Atlanta. I believe they take care of the Rams. And I do think they can take care of Seattle. This is possible. I have them going at best 6-2 and two, with their two losses either being to Baltimore and Seattle or Baltimore or New Orleans. That's the at best. That would put them at 13-3. and three. They will probably have home field advantage. And at worst, I have them going 4-4 four and four in the last eight games. And that would put them at 11-5. and five. They could lose to Green Bay if Aaron Rodgers just happens to have an Aaron Rodgers-esque performance. They probably will lose to Baltimore. It's a very strong possibility that they lose to New Orleans. And then I do think they could lose to the Seahawks in Seattle. That's one of the only reasons why, because it's in Seattle. Josh Gordon will have been there for more than 10 days. Tyler Lockett probably won't go down. The team will be better. The team will be more organized. Hopefully there won't be five fumbles again, and it'll be a more com- an even more competitive game, which is better for us, but... Not so much for the 49ers. And that will put them at 11-5. and five. They'll still make the playoffs. And depending on how Seattle finishes, they could still finish ahead of Seattle and win the NFC West. And, hey, that's not bad. I'll take that. But conversely, on the other side, it was a great win for the Seattle Seahawks. They lost Tyler Lockett early on to a leg injury. They had five fumbles. Lost three of them. Josh Gordon had only been on the ten team for 10 days, as I just mentioned. The rest was sacked five times and was constantly under the rest. A lot went wrong. A lot just didn't go in their favor. But they found a way to win. Great job. The defense stepped up. The defense looked great. There were two fumbles, an interception, and a touchdown. All three of their turnovers turned into points. Not only points, they turned into touchdowns. The two fumbles, one resulted in a scooping score, the other resulted in a Russell touchdown to Jacob Hollister. The interception resulted in another touchdown thrown by Russell Wilson. The defense shut down the run game. They shut down what the 49ers were best at. And then since they lost Emmanuel Sanders and already came into the game without George Kittle, the 49ers were severely hindered. They didn't have much of a choice. The defense played great. That was an excellent game plan. They capitalized on all their 49ers mistakes. This is now the Seahawks' fifth straight win. They're getting into a groove. Even though some of their games have been close, they've been pulling them out. 
at one point, the Seahawks were down. They were down. It looked like they weren't going to come back. The defense was stifling. And then the scooper score fumble happened, and it railed off 21 straight points. The Seahawks are finding ways to win. And that's great. The NFC is now wide open. Eh, kind of. 8-2 and two team. 8-1 and one team. And then there's a couple of 7-win teams. And I think the only 5-win team currently in the playoff picture is the Cowboys. So it's still wide open. Anything can happen for the most part. I don't think too much will change around. Maybe the Eagles can make the playoffs. I don't think any of those three-win teams or four-win teams will miraculously turn around and make the playoffs. But for the most part, the seeding is wide open. And this makes great football. This makes very interesting football. Teams probably won't be resting near the end of the season, depending on how things shake out. We get more interesting games, more interesting matchups. Time you want to tune in on Sunday. There won't be too many games where it's like, ah, I can afford to miss that. No, you can't. You want to watch this. You want to watch how competitive things get. You want to watch how good this football is about to be. This is why I told you at the end of October. This is why I said, hey, guys, you guys are going to want, want to watch a lot of football because when things heat up, this is when the players turn that switch. This is when guys are like, all right, man, let's get into it, man. Hey, we're ready. We're ready to make this playoff push. This is the month. This is why I told you this is one of the most exciting weeks, not exciting months for football, college or pro. This is the time where you make a name for yourself. All right, we're done with that. We're going to move on to the next subject. Apparently, Colin Kaepernick has been contacted by the NFL. And they said, hey, we want you to work out for teams this Saturday. He tweeted it earlier. He said, thank you for the support. But he let everyone know that he'd been contacted by the NFL and that they do want to see if he still has it. So far, 13 teams are slated to go see this workout in Atlanta. It is the Arizona Cardinals, the Atlanta Falcons, the Cleveland Browns, Denver Broncos, Detroit Lions, Miami Dolphins, New England, the Giants, the Jets, Tampa, Washington Redskins, Dallas Cowboys, and the Seattle Seahawks. Those are the 13 teams that are supposed to be there this Saturday. Now, said there could be more, it could be less. The NFL originally didn't even want to release the statement that what teams were going to show up. They wanted to keep it confidential, but switched around and said, hey, you know what, whatever. And former teammate of his, Eric Reed, famously took a kneel with him He's still in the league. He plays for the Panthers. He was interviewed as soon as the news got out. They got a hold of him, interviewed him. And he said it feels like a PR stunt. Yeah, they're just saying it. Just just to say they gave him a chance. Eh, no one really cares. Don't pay much attention to it. And I tend to agree with Eric Reed. The one thing you'll know about me is I'm a skeptic. And when you're a skeptic, You can't just tell me what's going on. You can't just tell me something happened. You can't just tell me something and expect me to believe it. You got to show me. I need to see it to believe it. I can't just... All this is hearsay. All this is just word of mouth. There's no guarantee that they actually mean it. They could just be reaching out and say, Hey, let's just throw him alone. Let's just get him out here, work him out, and then say, Hey, he doesn't have it anymore. And he is 32 years old. That is kind of old for quarterbacks. Especially 
a guy who moves around a lot, who uses his legs a lot. He's a mobile quarterback. And they did leave him out of the league for about four years. He's been training on his own. And then now they're deciding to give him a chance. He could be rusty. This could not work out. But when you're a skeptic, when you when you just hear things like this, it's hard to believe. So I agree. You will have to convince me. I will have to see how this unfolds. But for the most part, it's almost week 11 in the NFL. Only so many teams are preparing for next year. And even then, they don't want a 32-year-old quarterback. A lot of these teams are tanking. They want a young guy. So this putting Kaepernick on your team, and for the most part, doesn't make a lot of sense. Of all the teams listed, he fits with the Cardinals. He could be their backup. Their current backup is Brett Hundley. He doesn't fit that mobile system or the air raid offense. And the Seattle Seahawks. He could be a way better backup than Geno Smith should Russell ever go down. It's a much more viable option. So it's the only two teams of the 13 that he actually fits with. And I think there's probably about four teams that actually want him. The Detroit Lions, our long-term quarterback, Matthew Stafford, finally went down for the first time in, I believe, 139 career starts, consecutive career starts. Finally went down this past weekend. They lost to the Bears. Their backup quarterback, Jeff Driscoll, was and eh, he was a game manager. He had one fantastic throw to Kenny Galladay that made me drop my draw. I was like, man, who is this kid? But, yes, Jeff Driscoll is their current backup quarterback. The way, yeah, the way their offensive coordinator, Bevel, the former Seattle coordinator, calls his plays, they utilize a lot of play action. They could use him. He could be effective if they want to let Matt Stafford rehab. Then I have a question mark next to the team. Tampa. Jameis Winston is going into a contract year. But from everything I'm saying, it seems like Bruce Arian kind of believes in him. I'm not sure if he does or not. And I'm not sure if they'll give Jameis Winston a lot of money. or I don't even know how much he wants. But they could sign Colin Kaepernick as a viable option until they decide on if they want to keep Jameis Winston or not. Because he's wildly inconsistent. One week you'll get three touchdowns, 400 yards, one interception. And then the week next week you'll get five interceptions and 100 yards. You don't know which Jameis Winston you'll get. But to me, what I see, it seems like Bruce Arians believes in Jameis Winston. I'm not sure they'll give him a long-term contract. But they could give him a short contract just to see if he can improve, if he can be more consistent, if he can be the Jameis that people do want to see on Sundays, not the Jameis that people say doesn't deserve any money or doesn't even deserve to be a starting quarterback in our league. Team number three is surprisingly New England. This is all my opinion. This is just who I think would probably want him on the roster. The New England Patriots, after losing to the Baltimore Ravens, might think, hey, why not? He's not going to play. We have Tom Brady, but why not give him a shot? Why not put him on the roster? Why not be able to switch it up the same way the Saints use Taysom Hill? They could do that. It could be a possibility. If anybody could utilize him correctly, it would be the New England Patriots. I'm not saying they would. I'm not even saying that they should. I'm just saying it's a possibility. They don't think they believe in their current backup quarterback, Jared Stidham. He threw an interception one game, and immediately, the next drive out, 
They put Tom Brady back on the field. They didn't even risk it in having a veteran backup who's been there before, who's been in the playoffs, who's played in a Super Bowl and debatably almost won the Super Bowl, if not for a controversial call. They could use that experience and they could utilize his talents. And then team number three, excuse me, team number four, are the Dallas Cowboys. This is the most, le- well, the least likely of the four. I don't believe that Jerry Jones would sign Colin Kaepernick. I don't think any of that would happen. But you do have to think. Kellen Moore is a fantastic play caller. He could make that work. I think they want to take a look at him. I think they do want to see what he has, has especially since Dak Prescott isn't the guy they thought he would be. He looked good early on, but they didn't really play anybody. You're supposed to look good against Miami. Lamar Jackson almost threw 500 yards against them. You're supposed to look good against a team that's tanking. It's not good. But now that he doesn't have the juice they thought he had, they could take a look at Colin Kaepernick. They could be like, hey, he's a viable backup if Dak ever should go down or if we ever get tired of franchise tagging Dak. We could see what Colin Kaepernick is working with. Now, there's two teams that I truly hope he does not go to. I hope these teams don't even consider signing him because it would be terrible if they did. It's two teams. Number one is the Washington Redskins. They're horrible. Not only are they horrible on the field, their front office is horrible. This is why I fear that they could sign him and they won't know what to do with him at all they just threw Dwayne Haskins to the Wolves Colt McCoy isn't very good I don't think they'll ever get Alex Smith back Case Keenum is probably done in Washington it's just it would be a bad situation for Colin Kaepernick to step up to step into wouldn't be great he probably would be screwed over by the organization just like most of their players have look how they treat Trent Williams look how they treated Jay Gruden after a few games It's not a great place to be. That's why people don't want to play in Washington. It's not because of the city. Washington's a fantastic city. I've been there plenty of times. I have family there. Washington's a fantastic city. The front office is terrible. They don't care about their players. The front office is too involved in sports. Usually a good front office, they hire a good coach. They hire a good coaching staff, and they say, hey, take care of everything. I'm going to sit up here, and I'm going to watch the game in the booth. That's not the Washington Redskins. They're way too involved in their football activities. And then team number two is the Miami Dolphins. And it's not because he wouldn't be good there. It's because it's the same reason that Josh Rosen isn't good there. The team around him would be awful. Josh Rosen is not a bad quarterback. If you look at the film, he's a fine quarterback. He's just had, he's been a victim of circumstance. He went from an awful team in Arizona where everyone around him was awful, except Larry Fitzgerald. And then he goes from an awful team like that to another awful team in Miami, where everyone else around him is even worse. And that would be even worse for a quarterback who is just learning the system, who hasn't played in about four years, and would probably be better as a backup. And you have to think, you don't know where the Dolphins are going to go in the draft. They've won two games now. They probably won't be in play for Tua. Do you think they're going to give Josh Rosen a chance? I don't think they're going to re-sign Ryan Fitzpatrick. They will need a new backup. Do they think Colin Kaepernick could be that guy? And I really hope 
he's not that guy for them because that would be an absolute disaster. He would not thrive there. I believe that Colin Kaepernick has been working on his game. I do believe that if he's given the chance, he probably won't be bad. He'd be a solid backup in the NFL. But it has to be the right situation. There's no way after four years they can expect him to start. Look at it like this. Take a guy like Matt Moore, who started for the Chiefs while Patrick Mahomes went down. He's been an NFL journeyman. He started plenty of places. He's always been a backup somewhere, earning money on the roster, getting reps, even if it's with the twos of the practice squad. He's been around. So when he was thrust into the moment, he didn't look scared, didn't look shaken. He just did what he had to do, managed the game, looked great. Those two situations would force Colin Kaepernick to be thrown to the wolves, and that would not be good for him. All right, I only have one more topic for you guys, and this is brand spanking new, hot off the press, even more hot off the press than the Colin Kaepernick news because it just happened at about 9 o'clock this morning. At the end of the Thursday night football game, about eight seconds left on the clock, there is a scuffle that breaks out. And it goes from a small scuffle to a huge fight where almost both teams, almost the entirety of both 53-man rosters are on the field. And how this started is Miles Garrett, the defensive end for the Cleveland Browns, sacked quarterback Mason Rudolph for the Steelers, and he kind of just wrestled him to the ground. It wasn't malicious. Nothing about it was malicious. He just kind of wrestled him to the ground. And I guess Mason Rudolph didn't like that one bit. And he started shoving his helmet on the ground, and he was, like, pushing his helmet into the ground. I guess he had some choice words for him. And you have to realize that Miles Garrett is a huge human. He's gigantic. Imagine Aaron Donald, but taller. That's what Miles Garrett looks like. Aaron Donald is only about 5'11", 6 foot, and he's all muscle, almost 300 pounds all muscle. Imagine a guy that's 6'5", and looks just like Aaron Donald, same frame. That's Miles Garrett. Mason Rudolph is just a quarterback. There's not too many muscular quarterbacks in the league, if any, maybe Cam Newton. And he tried to rough Miles Garrett up. And as you think in response, Miles Garrett didn't like that. And he roughed him back up. But he took it too far. So he yanked him up off the ground by his face mask. And he ends up ripping the helmet off of Mason Rudolph. And he doesn't stop there. He takes the helmet and he swings it at Mason Rudolph. And he hits him in the head with it. That is way too far. That is entirely too far, especially in the league, the way the league is going, trying to protect people more, especially with head injuries. Miles Garrett takes his helmet off and hits him with the helmet. Now, I understand it's the heat of the moment. You lose your cool because the guy's trying to jack you up. He's over there choking you on the ground. He's pushing your head into the ground. And I get it. You lose your cool. But man, he went entirely too far. He's definitely going to miss some games. I think at minimum he's going to miss four games and he's going to get a hefty fine. You just can't do that. And on top of that, uh, Ogunjobi, I believe his name is Larry Ogunjobi, he's probably going to get it one game suspension for pushing Mason Rudolph onto the ground after the play is over with his helmet off. 
And then Marquise Pouncey, the center for the Steelers, probably will also get a suspension because he started throwing punches in defense of his quarterback at Miles Garrett on the ground. And then on top of that, I definitely believe that quarterback for the Steelers, Mason Rudolph, should be suspended. He incited the entire situation. I understand that Miles Garrett took it way too far. In no way am I defending that. But you have to understand who inside of the situation. I believe New York will look at the film. They will break down the fight and see what happened, what exactly caused Miles Garrett to react the way he did. They'll see why Marquise Pouncey started throwing punches. They'll see why Larry Ogunjobi decided to push Mason Rudolph. They'll see all of that. I hope they'll get it correct. I think Miles Garrett will be suspended at least four games. Larry Ogunjobi will probably be suspended one or two games. Marquise Pouncey will more than likely only have a two-game suspension because you can't throw punches in the NFL, so at minimum, it'll definitely be one. But I wouldn't be surprised if it'll be two. And I'm not sure if Mason Rudolph will or will not be punished for this, even though, in my opinion, he should be for inciting the entire situation. I don't think anybody else would be suspended. I think everybody else would be fine. They didn't even want to finish the game. The Steelers just ended up taking a knee. They didn't want to run a different play. Everybody ran onto the field and was just like, ah, we're going to go to the locker room. But they had to run one more play. It was just, man, that's really unfortunate because Miles Garrett is a great football player. He's a fantastic defensive end. He's an extremely good pass rusher, and he's fantastic in the run. And it, I hate that he had to lose his cool like that because, debatably, he's the Browns' best player. He's definitely their best player on defense. But ah, this really puts the Browns in a tight spot because this is the easy part of their schedule. They have the Bills next week, and then after that, it's a bunch of teams that aren't good. And then they still have to play the Steelers in 17 days. If Garrett isn't suspended... How will he react? How will this happen? What will happen the next time they play? It sucks. Hopefully nothing happens. Hopefully nothing comes of it. Hopefully these guys just get their suspensions and that's the end of it. But more than likely, it won't be. There will be some more repercussions. The next game they play against the Steelers will probably be a lot more testy. And I guess you can watch it. I guess it'll be good football. I guess it'll be at least interesting. It'll be an interesting storyline to follow, but I really hate that the only thing that will be taken away from this game is the fact that some guy got hit with a helmet rather than the Browns finally won a game after dropping three straight. Yeah, it sucks, but that's life. Guys, I'm done for today. This is it. I have nothing for you. But if you did make it this far, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate you for, appreciate you for listening this far. Really get, appreciate everybody for listening to my podcast in general. Thank all of you guys. And if you did make it this far, share the podcast. You know me. I don't want anything from you. I don't want your money. Nothing like that from you. I just want you to share the podcast. The fastest way word travels is by word of mouth. Just telling your neighbor to listen and tune in or tell somebody to tell somebody that likes sports. Tune into the podcast. I really appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate your time. Again, I'm Miles. This has been the Judgment Call Podcast. I'll let y'all.